help, what do I do with my overwhelming emotions? That is the series that we, we are in right now. What do you do with your overwhelming emotions? What is it that you do when emotions come over you, over you and flood you? This series is really about boundaries for our souls. Just like you can have healthy boundaries in relationships with other people, you can have healthy boundaries with the overwhelming parts of you. Now, of course, the errors of the world, they come in pairs. So there's two things that we can do with our overwhelming emotions. One is we can keep them too close. The other is we can keep them too far away. So when our overwhelming emotions are too close, they overwhelm us. When we keep them too far away, we cut ourselves off from them. But when we cut ourselves off, or attempt to cut ourselves off, from the overwhelming parts of us, it's sort of like playing whack-a-mole, that game. Like, I don't like this feeling, so I'm going to knock it down, I'm going to minimize it, I'm going to shove it under the water, I'm going to muscle my way through, and we think by knocking it down it's gone, but it pops up somewhere else. Today we're going to look at the overwhelming emotions of fear and anxiety. Have you all noticed anxiety? It's in the air. Anxiety is in the air these days. It, of course, exists on a big spectrum from nervousness to panic attacks. But anxiety is in the air. And in little ways and big ways, it robs you of your life. If we define anxiety, anxiety is the overwhelming feelings of worry, fear, restlessness. The opposite of anxiety is that calm, centered, connected place inside of you. So let me ask you, what overwhelms you? What makes you anxious? Where do you experience fear, worry, restlessness? How do you deal with your anxiety? 1 Peter 5, 7 in the Bible is one of the most quoted passages in Scripture about anxiety. And it simply says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. But this is only half of the whole idea that Peter, the author of this passage, is trying to communicate. Peter's command actually comes in the preceding verse when he says, Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. And then this famous part that we always quote modifies how we are to humble ourselves, which is by casting all our anxieties upon the Lord. In his book, The Secret to Dealing with Fear and Anxiety, author Ed Welch says this about this passage. This passage has been a secret because we've typically entered it at verse 7. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. But to understand its meaning, you need to start with the preceding verse. Humble yourselves. It's the only exhortation in the passage. This is what Peter wants us to hear and obey. If we jump into the middle, it makes no sense. 
we can't cast our cares on him until we've recognized that he is God and we're his servants who've also been elevated to become his children. Humble yourselves. The verb in the passage for casting, casting your anxieties, is actually the same one used in the Gospel of Luke to describe the disciples throwing their cloaks on the donkey that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem. Visualize that. It's the same casting, casting your anxiety upon the Lord. That can feel about as silly as throwing your cloak on a donkey. Like, what does that mean? And yet, God wants us to do this so that Jesus can actually carry those things into Jerusalem, the city, the very city where he goes to die and rise to free us from the, like, the destructive grip that fear and anxiety can have on our lives. So how do we do that? How do we deal with fear and anxiety? Today we're going to talk about three things. One, biology. Two, a man named Doag. And then your remedy box for fear and anxiety. Biology, a man named Doag, and your remedy box. So first, biology. Let's just imagine for a minute you are walking into a party and you pull up in your car with your date to this house. And there are some steps going up to the front door of this house party. And the doors are open. And there's people inside. And they're mingling. And they're talking. And there's music playing. And when you pull up, you feel anxious. You're all of a sudden kind of flooded with worry. And like, do I know anybody here? And who am I going to talk to? And maybe I should have stayed home. You are overwhelmed with fear and anxiety. For most of us, when we experience anxious feelings like that, particularly if it's a regular thing for you, then we will say to ourselves something like this. What is wrong with me? Like, why can I not get it together? Why can I not just be a fun-loving party person like all the people in this house appear to be? Typically, when we experience anxiety, we say those sort of things to ourselves. This is not helpful. To humble myself, like the passage said, to humble myself is first about embracing and accepting my biology. When you experience anxiety, your body is trying to tell you something. Your body has something to say. And to say to yourself in that moment, what is the matter with me? Why can't I get it together? Why can't I be like all those people in that party? Ugh, I'm such a loser. Whatever spiral you go down into is not helpful. The first piece of humbling myself when it comes to the overwhelming fears and anxieties when they flood us all is to accept your biology. So the party brings up some anxiety it doesn't mean that you don't go in and just keep driving, but you do pause and you say, Hi, I, hello, anxiety. I see you. I see you there. Rather than what is wrong with me. 
When you experience anxiety and your body's trying to tell you something and you ignore it or minimize it or push it under, it's actually kind of arrogant because God's given you this body. To see your feelings, to notice them, to be curious about them is actually to befriend them. It's actually the first step in humbling yourself. So you say, hello, I see you there, anxiety. And I'm asking you really to flip that script from self-criticism to, hello, I see you. You know, your thoughts and your awareness of your thoughts are actually two different things. You can have the thoughts, but not even be aware of them. They're just ruminating. But you also have the ability to be aware of those thoughts. Oh, I'm anxious right now. I see you, anxiety. There you are. Hello. What does my anxiety want to tell me? And again, I'm not suggesting that you don't go into the party. There are many, many, many times in life, like right here, right now, for me, public speaking, (laughs) where you move forward with something and there's fear. In fact, courage can't even happen without fear. In order to be courageous, you have to be afraid. So going into the party, feeling anxiety, it doesn't mean you follow the anxiety and drive away necessarily. It may be an invitation to courage. But you notice it. And you say, hello, I see you. You know, biologically speaking, some of us just have bodies that are more anxious. And a piece of humbling ourselves is accepting that if that is true for you. There was actually a landmark study about babies where they took a bunch of babies and they exposed them to kind of these dramatic stimulus like balloons popping in their faces and things like this. And the babies actually had different reactions and they scanned the brains of the babies. So like 20% of the babies registered high high on anxiety for these different things they did. 40% of the babies, low responsive anxiety, 40% kind of mixed, some of both. And then they tracked those same babies into adulthood, and they found that the 20% that had that strong reaction experienced more anxiety in adulthood. Like the first piece of humbling myself in order to cast my anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for me, the first piece is just to, you know what? When this happens, this is a part of biology. My body is trying to tell me something. And God gave me this body. And he loves this body. And he desires to dwell in this body and lead me in this body through whatever it is that I'm experiencing in life. So if you're a person who gets anxious easily, part of that may just be how your body operates. So there's no value in saying to yourself, why can't I just get over this? Instead, you can recognize, like, this is a part of me. And then with curiosity and compassion, how do I steward this body and life God's given me? How do I live in God's kingdom in this body? And what is my anxiety trying to tell me? So first, biology. Second, let's talk about a man named Doag. Now, in the Bible we meet a man named Doag. His name in Hebrew comes 
from the root word for fear and anxiety. We find him in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 16, we meet David. David makes his big Bible debut. In this story, Saul is the current king of Israel. And he has just been rejected from his position of authority. A guy named Samuel is called by God uh, to anoint a new king. And Samuel says, the new, t- the new king is going to be this guy named David. Because, he says this, the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So Samuel says, David, this ruddy, young guy, is going to be the next new king. And then David goes on to really make that clear to both Saul and all of Israel when he has the battle with Goliath. Remember that story, David and Goliath? I mean, talk about a story of overcoming fear and anxiety, David and Goliath. But the David and Goliath story, while it reveals that for David, it also shows the story of how Saul, King Saul, the current king, is ridden with fear and anxiety. They are close companions, and we see it unfold in his life. It becomes clear that Saul has no boundaries for his soul. He is not able to lead himself in his overwhelming emotions. We see the unbridled fear and anxiety take over and run amok in his life. So in 1 Samuel 21 and 22, Saul responds to David with a growing bitterness towards him. He hears um, kind of word on the street about David's military successes, and everybody is saying these words, oh, Saul's killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. And the Bible says that Saul then eyed David from that day on. Saul was afraid. The Bible says he was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but he departed from Saul. So eventually, this leads Saul to go after David's life. He wants to kill him. And Saul uh, tells his son Jonathan, who is good friends with David, he tells him he's going to do this. He's going to go after David. And uh, Jonathan, being David's good friend, tells David this. And... David flees the city, ends up in a city called Nob, and he meets a priest there, and this priest gives him two things, sustenance and a sword, food, and actually the sword is Goliath's sword for David's protection. And this is what we then read in 1 Samuel, peculiar sentence. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day in that town of Nob, His name was Doag, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Doag, which shares the same root in Hebrew, da'ag, for fear and anxiety. Doag's role in this story is just very closely linked with Saul's own fear and anxiety. And the next time we see this guy, Doag, He is telling Saul, I know where David is. I'll tell you where he is. And this priest has helped him out by feeding him and by giving him a sword. 
well, there is nothing that Saul fears more at this juncture than like a fit and ready to fight David. <laughs> One who's been nourished, given a sword, nothing tips Saul over the edge more than that. So how does Saul deal with this overwhelming fear and anxiety, this heightened sense of fear and anxiety? Does he put boundaries on it? Does he manage it wisely in a healthy way? Not exactly. Saul enlists Doag, the guy who delivered the news, he enlists him to take out all the priests, because that one priest helped David, take out all the priests in that town. So Doag the Edomite turned and struck down the priests, and he killed, on that day, 85 persons. Not only that, Doag went further. He killed the women, the children, the cattle, the animals, Saul's unbounded fear and anxiety led to death and destruction in his own life and in the people around him. Doag, like, personifies unbridled fear and anxiety and the damage that it can do in us and around us when unchecked. Raphael Kushner says this about anxiety. Anxiety is not an emotion. It's a particularly visceral form of emotional resistance. Even though anxiety itself can seem intolerable, our primitive brains deem it less threatening than the core emotion that triggers it in the first place. Wait a minute, so there's a core emotion that triggers my anxiety? What was that for Saul? The Bible says it was fear of David. That the fear of David led to Saul's response of anxiety and then that led him to hurt others rather than to humble himself. So you have biology and you have this guy named Doug. Can we talk about the remedy box? Your remedy box for anxiety. If you struggle a lot with fear and anxiety, you actually have a lot more control than you think. Here's what I mean by that. You can develop a remedy box for yourself, like a set of practices that you pull out when you're anxious. Do you remember uh, eighth grade biology, which learned about the nervous system and the sympathetic and the parasympathetic states. Just like you have a skeletal system and a digestive system and a muscular system, you have a nervous system. This is the way God made us. And the sympathetic state of your nervous system is your body when it is preparing for intense physical activity. It's a sympathetic state. It's the state you're in when you are anxious and restless and worried and afraid. It's your fight-or-flight response. And it's not a bad state. You need this state. You just don't want to live there all the time. And then you have the parasympathetic state, 
which is essentially your body when you are calm, connected, centered. This is your rest and digest state. That's what they call it, your rest and digest state. And we are psychosomatic beings. I mean, that just means that all of the various systems of our body work together. And so science has actually shown that when you live in an ongoing, like prolonged anxious state, it impacts the other systems in your body. When we operate in that sympathetic state with constant nervous energy inside, our immune systems do not function as well. Our brains do not function as well. It can impact digestion and our muscles. But here's the good news. You actually have more control than you might think. There are actually things that you can do to bring yourself back into that calm, centered, connected state, the place where you rest and digest. Now, here's what David did in this situation. Check out David's remedy box for the situation with Doag. The Psalms, many of which were written by David, are also the prayer book of Jesus. So when we pray the Psalms, we're praying things that Jesus prayed. But David wrote many of them. And Psalm 52 is one he wrote, and it begins like this. To the choir master, a masco of David, when Doag, the Edomite, came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Amalek. Uh, Amalek. So this is so interesting to see David's response in this situation of an overwhelming emotion. First of all, David acknowledges in this psalm the situation. David identifies Doag, whose name means fear and anxiety. He says, your tongue plots destruction. You love evil more than good, lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour. In other words, he's like, oh, hello, anxiety. I see you, doag. And I'm not pushing you under, and I'm not ignoring you, and I'm not trying to muscle my way through. Hello, anxiety. Hello, doag. Like, there you are. I see you. I acknowledge you. I name you. And... He doesn't stay there. He doesn't just keep ruminating that story over and over and over. Anxiety is our thoughts, and he doesn't just stay there on a loop that never ends. The theme of this psalm is the steadfast love of the Lord. The main theme is the steadfast love of the Lord endures all the day, he says. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. So David basically says, oh, hello, anxiety. Hey, Doag, I see you. I name you. I'm not ignoring you. And you don't get to control me because the steadfast love of the Lord is with me. And I choose to focus there. I choose to turn my attention and turn my thoughts and meditate upon your law day and night. It is my sustenance. It is my food. 
I choose to sing, great is your faithfulness. I choose to say, my eyes are on your beauty and your loveliness and your magic and your praiseworthiness. Just a minute ago, we were singing like, through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you and it is well with me. And it, I was thinking when we were singing that about how, you know, for some people it might be like, how can that be true? It's, it's not okay with me. But when we develop and nurture that internal reality with God, we bring that with us wherever we go. It might not be a well out here, but it is well in here. Because the steadfast love of the Lord is forever and ever. So here's the thing. While you do not have control over your initial feelings of anxiety, you do have control over how you respond to them. And there are so many things we can do to return to that parasympathetic state of calm, centered, and connected where we rest and digest. So I want you to figure out what those things are for you. Science has told us there are a myriad of things that we can do, that God has made our bodies with a lot of choices when we're feeling anxious to return to calm. I'm just going to give you a quick list. Some of them are kind of odd. They're kind of strange. Uh, but they are scientifically proven ways to calm ourselves when we're experiencing anxiety. So the first one, breathing. Do you know even in the military, in combat, they teach soldiers about breathing? That's how important it is. In fact, in the military, one way they teach breathing goes like this. Inhale for four, hold it for four, exhale for four, hold it for four. Let's do it together. One, two, three, four, hold two, three, four, exhale two, three, four, hold two, three, four, inhale two, three, four. When I first learned that, you know that verse in the scriptures that says, be still and know that I am God? It's eight words long. I started doing the breathing thing with two words in each section. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Breathing is a way, it's a practical tool that can go in your remedy box for returning to that rest and digest state. Second one, baths. Third one, prayer and meditation. You have inside you an inner sanctuary. Inside of you, you have an inner sanctuary, a holy center where God's spirit dwells. And the more you nurture that, and the more you grow that, you take that with you. You take that inner sanctuary with you wherever you go. You take it to the chaotic carpool line at school. You take it to the meeting with your boss at work. You take that developed, nurtured, inner sanctuary of your soul with you wherever you go. Prayer and meditation expands 
that interior part of you. Another one, music. Particularly music that's 70 beats a minute, like Bach. Here's a weird one. Plunging in cold water. I'm not sure why, but plunging in cold water. Here's another one. Lying on your right side. I think it has to do with the fact that your stomach's on your left side. And so, something about that. But lying on your right side. Here's another one. Raising your arms in the air. Now, some of you are like, yeah, I've seen people do that at church, and I always just thought, like, do they have a question? <laughs> it's a thing. There's actually uh, C5 and C6 vertebrae in your back. When you lift your arms in the air, you are creating space for those vertebrae, and your vertebrae like to breathe. They don't like to be constricted. So putting your arms in the air... Actually, one of my neighbors is up early every morning and outside, and I'm often inside reading, and I just see him doing this, you know, like five in the morning. He's just doing this in the street, and um, it's a thing. <laughs> love. Whether you give love, think about love, read about love, experience love, receive love, love will return you to, it'll play a part in returning you to that calm, centered state. So what is in your remedy box for anxiety and fear? What's in there? What is in there for you? If you're walking into that party and you sense yourself feeling anxiety, maybe your body is trying to tell you, you have been out every single night this week, and you need to schedule a night to stay home in your PJs. Or maybe... Your anxiety is saying to you, you really have been wanting to nurture friendships. And it's going to take some courage. And this fear, this anxiety, is an invitation to be courageous right now. But your body's trying to tell you something. Um, we're going to close with a prayer. I'm going to invite you, if, if it would be meaningful to you, to say this prayer with me. But before we do, I just want to say one last thing. If I was listening to this talk and I heard that list that I just gave, my personality would be like, I'm going to go do every single one before I go to bed tonight. I'm going to plunge in cold water. I'm going to lay on my right side. I'm going to lift my arms. I'm going to do all the things. Um, that is not a to-do list. It is not a to-do list. If plunging in cold water sounds terrible to you, it's probably not the thing to be in your remedy box. It should be something that feels like an invitation. You stick it in there and you have it and you go, oh yeah, I want to go do that. Oh yeah, I know when I take a bath, I feel good. I return, my body returns to that state. So pick things for your remedy box that are calming and centering to you. Listening to the body God gave you. Learning to live in God's kingdom in the body God gave you. Let's pray together as we close. I invite you to pray along with me if you like. This prayer is called The Other Serenity Prayer. God, grant me the serenity to stop beating myself up for not doing things perfectly. The courage to forgive myself because I'm working on doing better. And the wisdom to know that you already love me just the way I am. Amen.